Oh, Lord, we love you. We love the clarity you bring into the confusion of our day. We love the simplicity of your word. We love the radiance of your holiness. And oh, who could stand? No one in this room could stand before you, O Lord. We fall short. We are sinners, all of us, desperately in need of your grace and your son Jesus and his shed blood for our sins. We give praise to you that that you have, in fact, made a way for sinners like us to be forgiven, that you have called us out of our dark place and into the light of truth and joy and satisfaction. We worship you and ask for your help now, Lord, as we open these verses in uh, the Gospel of Luke. We pray that our eyes would see glory and that we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled the sermon this morning, Majestic in Mercy. Majestic in Mercy. We're in Luke chapter 9, and if you need a Bible, just wave your hands, and uh, I'm sure we can find a few guys to to get you a Bible. Um, I always love pointing people into the book because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it in the book. It's, It's God's word that matters most, and all of us here are under that together. And so we celebrate His word in that way, majestic in mercy. Luke chapter 9, we begin with an interesting account of a, uh, a father and a son, a very desperate father and a demonized son. Now, you remember we were up on the mountain last week, Mount Hermon, and we experienced with Peter, James, and John the transfiguration of Christ. He was in prayer with his father, and then all of a sudden he began to shine light from the inside out, he was glorified, changed, such that they were able to behold a, a, just a taste of his glory, the glory of Christ. It's a moment they never forgot. As they come down the mountain, we pick up the text in verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher! I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and and, and will hardly leave him. This is the first thing that confronts Jesus as they come off the mountain. One of the things that we... uh, have here is Luke giving us a point of contrast. I think he wants us to, to feel the difference here. We've been on the mountain. We have seen glory. We have experienced this incredible transforming moment that changed Peter, James, and John forever. And you just want to stay there like Peter. Let's build some tents. Don't let this end. Let's just stay up here and not go back down in the valley. But they do. Because the mission of Jesus is not just a mountaintop mission. He meets us where we are at. He comes down. He stoops from the heavens to meet us in the valley and the dark in our need. Hmm. Imagine the conversation coming down off of that hill, dropping all those thousands of feet and processing what they have witnessed from Jesus as he has uh, revealed his glory to them. 
And then they're confronted by this. A man in a crowd, seems like this crowd has, has found him. They kind of latch on. And out of the crowd comes a man. He, he falls at the feet of Jesus. Uh, the other Gospels speak of he, he falls at his feet and he cries out for help. He's pleading for his son. We learn a number of things about this situation. It is not only his only son, it's his only child. This man has one child. Uh, the child is able to cry out in the moments where this uh, demon afflicts him in such horrific ways. He begins to convulse. He begins foaming at the mouth. It, it shatters him. The word there literally means it mauls him. It mauls him. It just tears him up. It will hardly leave him. It's like it won't let go. We learn in Mark chapter 9, verse 25, that this demon has been in this child for many, many years from childhood, and uh, it has made him deaf and mute. So this child not only is tormented regularly by this demon, but he is unable to speak or hear. Now, just think about this. I did some work in Costa Rica for a few years with a, a training center for deaf pastors. And we went down there to teach them how to carry the gospel through sign language to all those who were deaf in Central America. I learned so much about the challenges of what it's like to be deaf. The, the barrier, that's an unreached people group. You realize that? The deaf. And the challenges that they faced in trying to learn to communicate and break through for a father and a mother, a child who cannot talk, cannot hear, that's a barrier, a huge challenge to overcome. M certainly much easier in our day with sign language and all of the help that we have through technology. Back then, it would have been very, very difficult. Mark tells us, uh, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? And the father says, from childhood, which tells us a few things. One, from childhood means this child is, is not young anymore. He may be, in fact, a young man at this point. And it's been happening that many years. And it says uh, he is often, this, this demon has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. The word often for me struck out. Often. This boy has no ability to communicate, no ability to hear, and at any random moment, as he's walking through the camp, there's fires all over the place, right? For warmth, for cooking, they're, they're, they're not far from the water, so he's walking along, and all of a sudden, this demon will just throw him into a, a convulsion in the pit of fire. What does it mean? Well, it means this young man has been burned severely many times, nearly drowned many times. He would have experienced deformity. It strikes me that one of Satan's goals with his demonic helpers is death. I just got to draw our attention to this. Suicide is of Satan. Let's be clear. Suicidal tendencies, thoughts, cutting, all of these things. He has a goal, and it is to totally destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. But Jesus says, 
But I have come that they may have what? Life. Abundant life. There's some contrast for us. This young man is unable to change his situation. He is unable to even talk about it. He is unable to be the recipient of comfort from his own parents. I mean, think of the prison this is. It's a silent prison. That's just focusing on the sun. Imagine being the parents of this young man. How in the world do you go through a day when you have no idea at any moment when this may happen? It's been going on for years. Now, let's continue on in the text. Verse 40, I titled this, Unbelief and Inability. He says, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, this is an interesting answer, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here, he says. What an interesting thing is happening. We find in Mark as, as they come down the mountain. So it's Jesus, Peter, James, and John. There's four. They're coming down the mountain, and there's this kind of crowd that's gathered. They're shouting. There's chaos. And they come, and they, they, they enter into this scene. Well, the reason the scene and, and the crowd was all stirred up is because the disciples were unable to deal with this demon. Did you get the fill in the blank? Okay. Just let me know if you missed the fill in the blank. I'll, I'll help you. Did you miss it? Okay, we'll go back. Unbelief and inability. For all the OCD people out there, that's, that's a nightmare. <laughs> you cannot leave the sermon with a blank unfilled. I couldn't help but hearing in what Jesus says here, you're having a moment of deja vu, right? And this is part of what I'm teaching these pastors. The more you study the Bible, the more you have this in the New Testament. You're like, wow, this sounds familiar. I feel like this has happened. Remember when Moses came down after being in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights? He had the tablets. What was happening? The golden calf. Unbelief was happening. A lack of faith. They had turned from the God who had literally delivered them and kept them alive, and they had already created a golden calf and began to bow to it. And Moses was angry, righteously angry, and he threw down the tablets. This is the echo of Moses. Oh, faithless and demented or twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Who's he speaking to in this? It's important that we see this. I, I do not think he is looking at the Father as he says this rebuke. I think he turns to the Father and says, bring your son. I think the rebuke is intended specifically for his disciples who stayed down below. Hmm. It was a failure of faith on their part. In fact, later the disciples came up to Jesus privately and they said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, 
It's because of your little faith. This is the mustard seed interaction. Listen, it's because of your little faith. Guys, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, tiny little seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. Do you realize the object of your faith? His power is unlimited. They were given authority and power to cast out, and here's the word that Jesus used, all demons at the beginning of this chapter. They had the authority and the power, but they lacked the faith. Their focus was off. And Jesus rightly rebukes them for it. What's interesting is that faithlessness leads them to prayerlessness, which may in fact be the revealing of pride. May Just kind of consider how this may have played out. They have gone throughout Israel two by two, slinging demons out left and right in the power and authority of Jesus. And then Jesus takes three of the disciples, goes up on the mountain. He leaves nine of them down below. And this man comes and says, please throw out this demon for my son. Oh man, we got this. We got this. Which one of you guys wants to do this, right? I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to fill in the details here. What is it that took place when the request came and the lack of faith displayed itself. I think they forgot to address heaven. I think they began to think, we can do this. We, like, we can do this. Pride. Pride. I think the focus was not in the right place. Their focus began to turn in. Oh, the toxic nature of pride. It will slide in, sneak in, and it will tear you up. It will leave you prayerless. In fact, one of the ways to spot a lack of faith in your life is to spot a prayerless life. The more dependent you are on Him, the more trusting and needy you are before him the more you will pray and lean and look to him pride isn't interested in that pride says as i mentioned a few weeks ago you got this you got this girl and jesus says no you don't no you don't I love what David Platt said. I was at a pastor's conference. He said it this way. We are tempted, friends, every day in our lives and in our churches to do the work of God apart from the power and presence of God. It is dangerously possible. Don't miss that. Dangerously possible for us to carry on the activities of life and ministry and even succeed in the eyes of the world and yet never notice that the Holy Spirit is totally absent from it. That scares me. Hmm. If we are not careful, we can deceive ourselves by mistaking the presence of physical bodies in a building for the existence of spiritual life in a church. Friends, just because a church grows does not mean that that is God's doing. 
I was in a church that went from zero to 10,000 in five years, and I watched it run from the gospel. I will never forget that lesson. It meets me every day. I wonder if the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel in our day may be the people of God attempting to do the work of God apart from the power and presence of God. Where do we meet that? In prayer. In prayer. In dependence. In humility. If you don't show up, nothing will happen. This will all be vain. Oh, friends, pray for your leaders in this church and pray for your own heart. Pray for me each week that we would not be tempted to come out and just do this and punch the time card and call it church and celebrate success in the eyes of the world. It could be Ichabod. The Spirit may depart the building if we do that. And I think in some churches he has. Faithful to the word, depending on the Lord. Now listen to the words of this father. He addresses Jesus again. Now Mark gives us this detail that I just can't leave out. It's too good. He says to Jesus, as his son is is just having this, this terrible episode of demonic display. Just a word there. Some people are like, no, this is just epilepsy, right? This isn't demonic activity. I would say the Bible calls it demonic activity. That's what it is, okay? And now it may have similar uh, displays to some kind of seizure or epileptic nature, but when the Bible says it's something, that's what it is. Jesus isn't like, oh, listen, buddy, your, uh, your son has epilepsy, it's not a demon. He, he deals with it in the category of demonic presence. The Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, don't miss that, if, the if there. Because why is he saying that? Well, his disciples couldn't. There's a doubt in his mind now. He's struggling because they were struggling. You see the echo? Pride in my life hurts you. Prayerlessness in my life hurts you. It washes. Fathers, your failure to lead your family in the word hurts your family. It washes. Parents, your failure to demonstrate the gospel in your own life is violent to your children spiritually. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now Jesus looks at the Father. His attention has shifted from the disciples. He looks at this Father and he says, If you can, silence. I think at this moment the Father would have stopped. Jesus says, All things are possible. For the one who believes. And the father responds immediately. I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. Oh, friends, is that not an honest prayer? 
That is so real to life. That's right where we live. Lord, I believe. I trust you. Oh, help me trust you more. I do trust you. I do believe. I'm looking to you. Help me trust you more. Grow my faith. Strengthen my resolve. Help me look to you and nowhere else. Hmm. You there this morning? Situation you're facing? Challenge? Family issue? Struggle? My friends, we live in a real world. There is heartache and challenge. I mean, you're thinking what, what Sharon has gone through this week. 61 years of marriage almost. Almost 61 years of marriage. And her husband is gone. Wayward children. Struggles with a spouse. Challenges at work. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. He meets you right there. Now, release and restoration. This is awesome. Verse 42, release and restoration. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. So you have this picture of the the father at the feet of Jesus. He says, go bring him to me. So the father goes and brings the son. There's all the people here, and the son is coming, and the demon realizes what has taken place. In that moment, rather than run or fear or some of the other displays we've seen from demons, this demon is violent. He wants to show himself in strength, and so he throws this young boy into a violent convulsion, and the whole thing is happening right there before Jesus. I love this verse. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. Did that impresses you? Is that all you got? Really? Be gone. You think, why? Because he is God. He is God. And that demon knew it. He didn't stand a chance. It's the Lord of creation. He knew who that was. He's gone. And the boy was healed. He gave him back to his father. All were astonished at the majesty of God. Friends, the majesty of God is not only on the mountaintop, is it? It's also in the valley, in the darkness, in the despair. He meets us there. This boy was healed, which means not simply delivered. It means he is now All of these burns, all of the deformities are healed, made right. Jesus doesn't do things halfway. He is totally healed, and he can hear, and he can speak. Think of this. The relationship with this son and this father begins in that moment, right there. It's amazing. Total restoration. It is a display, once again, my friends, of absolute sovereignty. Don't think yin and yang. Don't think Star Wars, the dark force, and the Jedi guys, the good guys. It is not a battle between equal foes. It is totally unbalanced. God is sovereign. 
Satan is a dog on a leash. He has nothing but the room that the Lord allows for him to run, and not an inch farther. I think of that often when I walk my little chihuahua around my neighborhood <laughs> with pride, <laughs> right? I mean, my little chihuahua, he's prancing along. People are like, oh, that's cute. Yep, it is cute. <laughs> it's like that, only a million times more. Total healing. It's the majesty of Christ. The majesty of Christ is shown in his mercy shown in his mercy. Though he is exalted, though he is glorified, though he has all power, he comes to us. To us. In our desperate place. And he says, be healed. Be restored. Find peace. Find life and joy. Be forgiven. Now, future glory, just right on the heels of this. It's like the, the people are just reeling from the glory of this display. And before they can even stop talking about it, Jesus goes straight into a teaching moment. He wants to hand off from this glory to another glory, to future glory, a glory that will shine even brighter the majesty of his mercy. Verse 43b, while they were still marveling at what he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. They were afraid to even ask him about the saying. What's going on here? Well, this is the second time that Jesus has flat out said, guys, this is coming. This is what's going to happen. I am going to be delivered into the hands of men. I am going to be killed. I'm going to be buried. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And the same thing is taking place. They just don't get it. And here we're given a glimpse into the reason why. Why don't they get it? Ultimately, it's because the Lord has chosen that they not understand. Not yet. Jesus points to the shadow of the cross, and he reveals once again, this is going to happen. This is my mission. This is the whole point of this. It's not just physical healings. The physical healings display power, authority, purity, holiness, radiance. They show me to be who I am to be to take my cross and accomplish my mission. The truth is revealed, but at the same time it's concealed. They don't understand because the Father has chosen at this point not to open their eyes to see it. They're afraid to even ask. They, it's like they don't want to know what he's talking about. Why are we talking about that again, Jesus? Let's go back to this other thing. You know, the mountain up there, or even the majesty you show in your mercy. Let's talk about healings. In our day, there is an overemphasis on healing and a lack of emphasis on cross. Friends, there are entire ministries that are lost in this, this 
obsession with power. Power, the power of God. So about the power and his, his power showing up in fire tunnels and people rolling around and barking like dogs. Where is the focus on the cross? That's the Spirit's job. He draws our attention there, not to himself. Jesus is not just some shyster, some trickster. He's a savior. That's his mission. Now, fascinating connection here. I did not see these connections until I sat in these words all week. Listen to how this comes up, just hands off into verse 46. True greatness is humility. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Why would that happen? You just have to stop and ask the question, what is wrong with these disciples? What? Like, seriously, guys, is there any question who is the greatest? Well, obviously Jesus is the greatest, but after that, what about us, right? So we learn in the other Gospels that this is taking place as they travel from the upper part of Caesarea Philippi back down to Capernaum. They're heading back down uh, toward the Sea of Galilee, and as they're walking, they're talking with one another. Well, who do you think is the greatest? Well, I don't know. I mean, I was on the mountain. Were you? I mean, I saw him transformed. Did you see that? Oh, that's right. You couldn't throw the demon out. You see what I'm saying? There's dynamics happening among these. They're sinners. They're sinners. They're prone to this. Part of the reason they couldn't throw the demon out is because of pride. That still is an issue. And it shows up now in the other three. I think that's what we're seeing. Peter, James, and John may in fact be kind of uh, feeling a little puffed up here. In fact, it's, it's not hard to imagine these dynamics as these nine who are down below missed out and couldn't do and then received the rebuke from Jesus. If you're Peter or, or James or John, you may just be like, yeah, man, you guys really messed up. Pretty rough. What's the problem with you guys? I mean, is your lack of faith? or You know, you can just imagine the conversations as they're walking. We know that James and John specifically, in two different places, have this on their mind. They want to know if, in fact, they can sit on the Father, or on the right hand of the Son, or the right and the left of the Son, in His kingdom. They want the position of prestige. James and John. They even send their mom to ask Jesus. She kind of slides in. She's like, so, Jesus, how you doing? Hey, I got a question for you about my sons. Do you think maybe you could put them on the right and left when you come in your kingdom? Because they're pretty awesome. They're missing it. They're, they're just completely missing it. So they're arguing as they walk about who is the greatest among the twelve. Jesus displays his sovereign power once again, knowing the reasoning of their hearts. So, but once again, I don't know that we can say necessarily that he heard all of these words, but he's, he's walking and he's aware. This, this is the revelation of pride. My disciples have yet to learn this. They don't see it. 
I'm going to point it out. So he took a child. They stopped this journey, sit down, maybe they're taking a break, having a meal, something like that. And he takes a child and he put him by his side and he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Whoa. Conviction. Now, culturally, we we miss a lot of what's happening here. Children in this day were looked at as insignificant. Kids, you're not insignificant, okay? But in this culture, you were seriously overlooked. You just, you're just there. You, you were not only to be uh, seen and, and not heard, you were preferred not to be seen. I mean, it was crazy. The, 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 the Talmud would even say that a, a, a Jewish rabbi to pick up a child was a total waste of time, an insult to the rabbi. So this just didn't happen. Jesus shows that he is not a normal Jewish rabbi when he reaches out and takes this child. Remember the, the disciples saying, Hey, keep these kids away. And Jesus says, bring the kids, don't hinder them. Jesus is communicating so much of what true greatness looks like. He takes one who would typically be completely overlooked and ignored, and he says, come in. Come sit on my lap. You matter in this kingdom. Is it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? Whose kingdom am I promoting? Now, what's fascinating about pride is it's inward. It's inward. It wants people to see me. It wants the kingdom of me built. Humility is just the opposite. It's outward. It sees the other. It sees the the, the people that are typically not seen. And it engages. It enters in. For the believer, my friends, the roots of grace that we have experienced should draw up the sap of the gospel into our lives such that the fruit of humility should hang on our branches. What do I deserve? What have I been given? Changes how I think. Well, they don't deserve this, so I'm not going to give this. God could have said that about me, but he didn't. He he stooped down to meet me in my lowest state, in my desperate need, and he said, come, come, be my son. The gospel is the foundation, the humbling work in our lives. How often does Paul say over and over and over, there's no boast in me. There's there's no boast here in me. My boast is in him. He is my boast alone. Humility flows from the gospel. Now, I didn't see these as connected before. Now, look at how they connect. John answered. So Jesus is teaching this. He's got the child. And the response of John in this moment is, well, Master... We saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. See the connection? He's not one of us. He's not one of the 12. 
what does he think he's doing? He doesn't have that kind of, uh, that kind of authority. Wh- who does he think he is? We're the 12. John is still missing the point. And Jesus says, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Here's the key. In whose name? In the name of Jesus. He was casting out demons. It just calls us to this humble joy. Is it going to be some kind of celebration or some kind of competition? When God blesses a faithful gospel church and they grow, what do we do? Celebrate. Celebrate. There's no competition here, Jesus says. The key thing is the name of Christ. The name of Christ going out. True, faithful, accurate name of Christ. We stand against false gospel in love because there is only one Savior and a true gospel to defend and stand for. But when we go to Uganda, these are our brothers and sisters who enjoy the gospel of Jesus Christ just like we do. We stand on level playing ground. All of grace around the world. King David said it this way. Oh, if we could have this heart in us. King David says, My soul makes it its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Right? The humble are going to celebrate a boast in Jesus. The heralding of Jesus. Oh, friends, then he says, come together with me. Join me. Let's be united in what? Exalting his name, making much of him. Our job is not make, make much of good shepherd. Our job is make much of the good shepherd. That's our goal. To the end that we do that, we place worship rightly and we magnify him. So our response this morning, there's so many ways that God can be landing this, these amazing words in our lives. His word rings out. It lives. I pray that we've all together repeatedly been convicted and encouraged today. Here's a few thoughts. Jesus said this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. If anyone had the right to build a kingdom, to brag or boast, in himself, who was it? It's Jesus. He's the king. Of the, those people, those men that walked down that road, the very last people who should have been bragging on themselves were among the twelve. Only one had that right, that absolute true right. And look what he did. You talk about greatness, friends. He poured himself out for the likes of us. That's greatness. That's kingdom greatness. He emptied himself. He laid down his life. He bled and died for us. Now, we carry the name Christian. How's that going to show up this week? 
right? How's that going to show up? Is it going to be beating our chest? Yeah, it's all about us. Here I am. Don't miss the name on the jersey, right? Kingdom of me or kingdom of Christ? I love the words of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's it, isn't it? That is the heart of a Christian. That is the heart of one who has been radically changed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Lord, we give honor and praise to you and to you alone because of the victory that you have accomplished by your servanthood, your sacrifice on our behalf. We love you, Jesus. We, we extol you. We make our boast in you and you alone. You are the focus of our joy. You are the focus of our song. You are the focus of our faith. We make much of you together, and in that we find a place to, to, to be humble and united. We share this together as one people with one king and one joy and one boast. Be glorified in us, Lord, and work through us as we hold out the words of life and truth to a, a, a crooked and confused world. Look at what you've done in us. Look at what you're doing in us, O oh Lord. We give praise to you. Use us now, we pray, this week to shine, to shine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.